Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 22. This morning, as we've been doing for a number of weeks now, are continuing our Genesis study, Patriarchs and Promises. This morning, we'll be studying what I believe is the single greatest act of obedience in God's Word. We're going to witness this morning Abraham's willingness to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice before the Lord. And what we're going to see is that God blesses our obedience. Let me ask you this. When you look back on your life, what would you say is your defining moment? What is that one moment that changed your life or your trajectory? Was it the day you got married? Was it when you became a mother or a father? Was it when you graduated and got your first job? Was it maybe a job promotion or when you retired? Was it the day you got saved? Or maybe it was the day that you said, yes, Lord. When we look throughout the pages of Scripture, we see many defining moments within the lives of our Bible heroes. Think about Moses. Man, his defining moment was the day that he stood before the burning bush. For David, it was the day he defeated Goliath. For Ruth, it was the day that she was grafted into the family of God. For Peter, it was the day that the Lord restored him and told him, feed my sheep. For Paul, it was the day that the Lord got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. For Abraham, I believe that it was this day, the day that we are going to study together this morning. The events leading up, let's look at the events leading up to the sacrifice. Point number one this morning is God test Abraham. We read in verses one and two, after these sayings, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. How many of you like tests? Raise your hand if you like taking tests. Nobody in this room can honestly say you like tests. Man, um, some of you, man, you, you could tolerate them. Others of you, like me, man, you dreaded test day. Think about some of the different kinds of tests. Man, there's that pop test, or often referred to, referred to as the pop quiz. These usually occurred to see if we read the required text between classes. There were those chapter tests. These tests covered a small portion of what had been taught throughout the semester. And then there's the final exam. This is the cumulative test. This test determines if you caught what was taught throughout the semester. I had a professor in college that prayed before one of our theology exams, and he said, and I remember this vividly, and it's been 30 years ago. He said, Lord, give them the ability to recall that which they studied. If I had studied, I would have prayed in agreement with him. But my prayer was more like, Lord, just help me get through this test. Some of you probably prayed a prayer more similar to mine than than in agreement with your professors. This morning, Abraham is going to be presented with his final exam. God is going to test him to determine how strong his faith is. We know that Abraham experienced many tests throughout the course of his life. 
And, and, and now he is going to be faced with his final exam. Now, keep in mind, not all that you and I go through is a test, okay? Sometimes we get ourselves into situations because of our poor choices, okay? What we're experiencing then, that's not a test. That is us experiencing the consequences of our choices. But Abraham when he was tested, was enjoying the latter days of his life. He was living in Beersheba, and we looked a couple weeks ago at him establishing roots within that land, and he was probably loving on his wife and watching Isaac grow up into a young man. All is going well for Abraham. And then God shows up, and he wants to test his faith champion. So first, notice the time. In verse 1, we read, after these things, God tested Abraham. After Abraham was well over a hundred years of age, most likely he was probably 110, 120, or somewhere in between. Isaac would have probably been um, an, an, an early to a late teenager himself. This test would be his final exam. It was a test to see what Abraham had learned from the time that he was 75 years old when God called him up until that moment. My son Connor is on fall break this week and is here this morning. So everybody turn around and say, hi, Connor. But I don't know if I would have responded more like Jonah did. When God said, go here, I probably would have gone in the exact opposite direction. Because think about the ask that God is, is, is telling Abraham here. Man, God is telling Abraham to take your promised son and sacrifice him before me. I, I, I just don't know if I could have done that. Notice the place that all of this takes place. In verse 2 again we read, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The land of Moriah would be modern-day Jerusalem today. Today it is one of the most significant places on the planet. But back then, when God called Abraham and Isaac to go to it, it was most likely just wilderness land. So God tells Abraham to go to this land, and there he would offer up a sacrifice on what is today Mount Moriah. It would be on that mountain that Solomon's temple would be built. It would be on that mountain inside the Holy of Holies that the Shekinah glory of God rested, which is the visible manifestation of the Lord. Today it is where the Dome of the Rock sits. Muslims claim that on that spot, some 1,300 years ago, Muhammad stepped into heaven. Part of that same set of mountains is where Mount Calvary is today, the mountain that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was crucified upon. It is in this place that the Lord called Abraham to go and to sacrifice his son. So notice our second point here. Abraham obeys God. When God said go, what does Abraham do? Abraham went, didn't he? In verses 3 through 5 we read, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham didn't hesitate. God said go, and he went. Here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham knew that Isaac was a child of promise, didn't he? Abraham knew that God promised that through Isaac a nation would be born. He knew that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. He knew these things. And because of his faith in God, he obeyed even when the ass seemed unreasonable and unfathomable. Abraham, Isaac, and the men that traveled with him arrived in the land of Moriah. It was about a three-day journey is what we just read. So think about that. For three days, Abraham, Isaac, and the men that they're, they're traveling with are marching toward Mount Moriah. Abram had many opportunities to turn around and go home, didn't he? He had many opportunities to go a different direction or to a different place, but he didn't. He obeyed. And again, we see right here that, they, that, that Abraham tells, tells um, the, the men, he says, you stay here. Me and the boy, we're going to go over there. And did you notice how this verse ends? He says, and come again to you. That signifies plural. It's not just Abraham is going to return to those men. It's both Abraham and Isaac that will return to those men. Abraham had faith and believed that both of them would return. How could both of them return when one of them is about to be offered on the altar as a sacrifice? I don't think Abraham knew the how, but he knew God was about to show up and he was about to experience the greatest of all worship services right there on Mount Moriah. Abraham believed one or two things were going to occur that day. First, he believed that God would would provide a substitute to sacrifice in the place of Isaac, or he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead after he was sacrificed. You may say, well, how do you know that? I don't see that there in Scripture. Well, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11, or read with me this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, the the writer of Hebrews here in the great Hall of Faith chapter, he writes these sayings about this event right here. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had no idea how this was going to play out on that day, but he rested in the promises of God, knowing that God would show up and that God was going to show off. And we know that is exactly what God did. So continue reading with me. Notice Isaac. Man, Isaac willingly responds um, in, in this next section of Scripture. In verses 6 through 10 we read, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. My son. So they went, both of them together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine that? Think about just the burden, the physical burden and the figurative burden that each of them carried with them on that day. Isaac, he carried the wood, didn't he? He carried the wood that was going to be placed upon the altar that he himself would be laid upon. Abraham, he carried the fire in one hand, and then he had the knife potentially in the other or had it in, um, in a holster on his body. And they walk up that mountainside toward the place of worship. And Isaac turns to his father and says, my father. And Abraham says, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Your kids ever ask you a question that you were not prepared to answer? Probably, right? Like, where do babies come from? Or, or um, why do people have to die? One kid asked this thought-provoking question. Why do we have to be born young and grow old? Why can't we be born old and get young? It's a great question, isn't it? Abraham was faced with one of those questions on this day. A question that must have been hard for him to answer. But Abraham, being the man of faith he was, simply says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham had no idea how on that day God would provide. But in the end, he had walked with God long enough to know that God would provide. He knew this because God is a promise keeper and a promise maker. Abraham builds the altar, and then we're told that he binds his son Isaac, and he lays him on that altar. Isaac is clearly old enough to have resisted his father, but he didn't. He could have fled from his father's presence, but he didn't. He could have tried to reason with his father, but he didn't. Both of these men had surrendered that moment over to the Lord. Isaac trusted his father. And Abraham trusted the Lord. Here's what I love about Abraham. Abraham loved the giver more than the gift. He loved God more than his promised son, Isaac. Can that be said of us? Do you and I love the Lord more than all that he has given us? Do we love the Lord more than father or mother? More than husband or or wife, more than even our own children? Do we love the Lord more than our possessions and that which we have in our bank accounts? You remember what Jesus said about our love for him in Luke chapter 14, verse 26? Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, a lot of people have speculated over the years that, man, how, how can I follow a God that tells me to hate another person? 
That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is you and I need to love the giver more than we need to love the gift. Our love for God needs to to outshine our love for those that he has gifted us with. Notice next, God, we see here that God is so good that he provides a substitute. In verses 11 through 14, we read, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it, to, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. When did God provide the substitute? At just the right time. Abraham had lifted up that knife, and he was about to thrust that knife into his son. And at that very moment, the Lord says, stop what you are doing. One writer said that as Abraham and Isaac were going up one side of that mountain, the ram was going up the other side of the mountain. God had already prepared the ram for sacrifice long before Abraham lifted that knife. Right there on Mount Moriah, a substitute was provided. Here's what we know from this passage. In the end, God was not after Isaac, was he? He was not looking to Isaac to demonstrate his faith. He was testing Abraham. He was seeing how he would respond to the ultimate of all tests. And God asked Abraham for his son. But in the end, it was not Abraham who ended up sacrificing his son, but it was God, the Father, who would sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. David Thompson shared, this is one of the most moving pictures in the entire Bible of the father and son acting in harmony to provide the sacrifice of the son. Isaac's sacrifice was stopped because he was a sinner, and his sacrifice would not accomplish anything salvific. However, the one who would come through this line of Isaac, Jesus Christ, would not have his sacrifice stopped because he is the only sacrifice that can take away sin. On that mountain that day, Isaac was not the one sacrificed. But fast forward hundreds of years, and God's only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was sacrificed there. In conclusion, Notice that God reaffirms his blessing to Abraham. In verse 15 through 19, we read, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, 
because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Abraham got a hundred on this test, didn't he? We know that Abraham was not a perfect man, but he was God's man. He made many mistakes, and he also got many things right over the course of his lifetime. You and I, too, make many mistakes, don't we? But you know what? I know each one of you well enough to know that you get many, many things right as well. When we are faced with our final exam of life, how well will you and I do? Abraham obeyed, and God blessed him. On Mount Moriah that day, a worship service occurred. God provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. Abraham sacrificed that ram and worshiped the Lord right there on that mountain. God spared Abraham's son, Isaac. Fast forward hundreds of years, and on that same mountain, God would allow his son to be sacrificed. On that day, the Lord Jesus died for our sins. On that day, he became our substitute. On that day, Jesus Christ took our place. He died a sinner's death so that all of us in this room could gain access to God the Father. You may ask this morning, how can I gain access to God the Father through God the Son? The answer is simple, faith and obedience. Just like Abraham believed by faith, you and I too must believe by faith. We must believe in Jesus Christ. We must repent of our sins. And we must declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior of our lives. And we also must believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That on three, that three days after he was placed in that borrowed tomb, he rose to life again, proving to all of humanity that he was indeed the Son of God. You know, we read in Romans 3.23, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room were born sinners. We were born with a propensity to sin. In fact, we didn't have a choice but to sin because that was the nature that we were born with, Adam's nature. Every single one of us have sinned. And we read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin and what all of us deserve because of our sin is death. But what I love about this next part of this verse is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came and dwelt among us to provide a way that we could be forgiven for our sins. The free gift of God cost us nothing, but it cost Jesus everything, didn't it? It cost him his life. And in Romans 10, 9, we read that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever done that? Have you come to the point in your life where you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've believed in your heart without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ indeed is the Son of God? Do you believe in the resurrection? If you do, notice this next verse. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he is and believe that he did what he did for you, then the Bible makes it clear you shall be saved when you call upon his name. 
everyone's eternity hinges upon their response to Jesus. Those in this room, those that will be on this campus today, those that dwell outside the doors of this church today, their eternity hinges upon their belief in Jesus. On 2,000 years ago, on Mount Calvary, which is probably a throw, which we know is a, is a stone throw away from Mount Moriah, John 3.16 became a reality. We read in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who believes and obeys shall, be, shall receive the gift of eternal life. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. That verse right there tells us that there are not multiple ways to heaven, but there is one way, and that is through Jesus, through faith in him and belief in him and recognition that he died for us and his blood will provide a covering for our sins if we would believe in him. I, you know, I, I, I don't know where you are spiritually today. I know most of you well enough to believe that you are believers. If you're not, I'm going to be standing here at the front. You may be here this morning, and and as you have listened to this message, and as we have concluded this message, you may be thinking, who do I know that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who do I know that needs to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? God may have placed upon your heart the name of an individual. During this time of invitation, let me just encourage all of us to pray for the name of that person that, or people that God has placed upon your heart and pray that God would open up that door so that you can go to them and share with them the gift of eternal life. Let's stand together, and I'm going to say a prayer. When I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, we come before you this morning just thanking you for this day, thanking you for the promise of your word, Thanking you, Lord Jesus, that, that thousands of years ago on Mount Moriah, Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. What Abraham had to do is demonstrate that he was willing to sacrifice his son. The death of Isaac would have accomplished nothing because Isaac was a sinner, just like every single one of us in this room are sinners. But fast forward few hundred years and on that very mountain where Jesus you died for us and we thank you for dying for us we thank you that by us confessing you to be Lord and Savior of our lives we can gain the gift of eternal life if there's someone here this morning that does not know you may today be the day of their salvation Father for those that are in this room that are believers I pray that you will reveal to each one of us this day who we need to take the gift of salvation to. Reveal to us the name of that person that we need to share the plan of salvation with. And Father, we pray that as we are obedient to go, you will give us favor and that individual will, or individuals will place their faith and trust in you. Father, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come if there's a decision you make. You come.